Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Acts chapter 20. And as we have been doing so often in this study... I've been asking you to just follow along on the screens and perhaps make notations of scriptures because I'm going to be sharing quite a few scriptures with you, probably moving at a little bit faster pace than you may keep up manually, so to speak. But let's ask God to touch us and strengthen us. I have, for several weeks now, uh, we have been talking about and dealing with a series entitled Back to the Basics. We've been talking about the fundamental doctrine of the church and uh, why we do what we do. In some, in some instances, some of our le- lessons and, and studies have been on those kinds of things. And tonight, I want to speak about a subject that I think is as important as anything we have discussed heretofore. And uh, would just ask you to lean in with all that you have and let the Spirit of the Lord just whisper something into our spirit. It, it doesn't matter how many times you have heard something. You can hear it afresh. Amen. I want to be talking on the subject of evangelism this evening and, uh, and how evangelism fits into the framework of the 21st century church. And so in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verses 22, 23, and 24, the Bible says, And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse number 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Paul said, I just want to end this thing right. I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry that I have received of the Lord. And then he explains that ministry. That ministry is to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And uh, so when I'm talking about evangelism tonight, I'm not speaking about the office or the calling of an evangelist. I want it to be abundantly clear that I am speaking to everybody in this house, yours truly included, that we are called to evangelize our world. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the word of the Lord. I think the mission of Jesus Christ was made very evident all throughout Scripture. I don't think that we are... uh, I don't think that we were on some scavenge hunt through the word of God trying to figure out the mission of the Lord. This was not just about signs, miracles, and wonders, although they were a part of 
and have always been a part of the church. I think in scripture, not the least of which that would describe the mission of the Lord would be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. The Bible says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And so the church, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, the church has been empowered and given the responsibility, committed unto us is a word of reconciliation. There really is hope. There really is hope. We have uh, some cards made up here at the church that we have used and, and still do have. I carry them with me uh, myself. And uh, I have met people along the way. Sister Patty Harris uh, actually had brought this idea several years ago. And, and uh, we printed up some cards that just simply says there is hope for your situation. And there is hope for your situation. And uh, we have met people, all of us have met people that just had a look of despondency about them. Their countenance spoke that all was not well in their lives. And so uh, we have been able just to hand them that card and uh, give them directions and what have you, instructions to uh, find this particular church because we believe that uh, there is hope for people's situations. We think that and we have, we have confidence in that because God has committed unto us a word of reconciliation. Since this was the mission of Jesus Christ, then I am convinced that that should still be the mission of the church today. And uh, we should not have changed our, our MO somewhere along the way. If there is an expectation in heaven, and I, I truly believe that there is. If there is an expectation in heaven, then I believe that expectation would be that we fulfill the mission of evangelism today. If God is peering over the balcony of heaven, I know we've heard all these little um, sayings like that, you know, kind of helps us in our own human mind to, to comprehend that. But if God is peering over the balcony of heaven tonight, it will not be to figure out what key we sang our songs in or if everybody clapped on beat, or if we were clapping on time or off time. But if there is an expectation of heaven this evening, that expectation would be to see if we have connected ourselves to the high and holy calling of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that are in need. The Bible says in Mark 16 and 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, amen. Go into all the world and just preach the gospel. And I know that the word preach and the word ministry sometimes allows those, allows those that are uh, kind of have that bent to disconnect themselves from any responsibility. But I want you to understand in this regard, you do not have to feel the call of a pulpit ministry to be able to preach the gospel. And God has called all of us. That is not something that is optional. That's not something that we can say, well, you know, I've just never been real good at that. Or other people are more gifted in that area. And while there are giftings and, and things of that nature that we all recognize, there is a blanket responsibility that lies upon the hearts, the shoulders of every one of us. And that is to pray 
and to propagate the power of this gospel saving message into the heart and the lives of others. It has never been an option and it never will be an option. As a matter of fact, it is our responsibility. And so this evening I have not come here with the intentions of making anybody mad, but I also have not come here with the intentions of just patting us all on the head and talk about how, how wonderful we are. I want the responsibility of what we're talking about this evening to gnaw into the shoulders of every one of us and let us feel the weight and the responsibility of the calling of God and the ministry of the Lord. And uh, I, I, uh, I know that we are most here familiar with the story of, of, of David trying and attempting to move the ark on a cart and, uh, and, and use us touching that and, and dying and, and uh, David had to back up and figure things out and, and to make a long story short, the, the gospel was never intended to be, or the authority of God was never intended to be carried on a cart. It was intended to be carried on the shoulders of men and our mankind and then the Levites in this particular case, but for us today, all of us, and so we need to feel the weight and the responsibility. I think that we ought to go home from church feeling better than we were when we came. I, I agree with that. I, I think that is one of the goals that we have, but not just in a slap happy sense. I think that we ought to go home with, a, with it gnawing into our shoulders and into our heart that there's some responsibility here. This, this doesn't just happen randomly. This doesn't just happen because we sang this song or we clapped our hands or we did it like this, fast or slow, but there's some responsibility. To underline that, to, to, to kind of bring that to bear, I wanna go to Ezekiel 3 and 18. The Bible says in Ezekiel 3 and 18, when I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked of his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. That kind of sucks the air out of the room, doesn't it? Because he said, when I told you to warn the wicked man of his way, and you did not warn him of his way, amen, he is gonna still die in his iniquity, but I'm gonna require his blood at your hand. You're going to be responsible for that. I'm, I'm gonna be very honest with you this evening. There have been times that I felt, feel that I have missed that appointment with God. I've prayed more than one prayer. I'm just bearing myself honest tonight. I've prayed one, more than one prayer. God, if you'll give me one more chance at that, if you'll give me one more at bat, let me step to the plate one more time. I wanna be very, very conscientious that when the word of the Lord speaks, that we are, we are obedient to that, that we are quickened with that. That sounds like responsibility to me. That doesn't sound like just feel good religion, but that sounds like real responsibility. Now, even though responsibility, even though evangelism rather is, is a responsibility, I think that it's far more than, than just that. I think it's far more than just something that we wear as a weight, but I think that we, in, in sharing the gospel, I think in being able to share the gospel is one of the greatest privileges that we've ever been given. Amen. It is a responsibility, it is our duty but it is not a duty that we approach with drudgery, but what a privilege it is to be able to say, I have an answer for your situation. I, 
I know where you need to go and I know what you need to do and, and I wanna join with you in that effort. As a matter of fact, one translation of 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this and I'm just push, pushing this together. God hath given us the privilege of urging everyone to be reconciled unto him because we are his ambassadors. We are his voice. We are his voice. I think there are very few things in life as powerful as our own personal testimony because no one knows like I know what the Lord has done for me. And no one knows like you know what the Lord has done for, for you. Either he has saved you from sin there are those tonight that he has perhaps kept from sin. And so no matter what our testimony may be on either side of that, of that proverbial line, what a great testimony it is to know that God in his grace has redeemed or preserved us. And I'm thankful for that. And so we are his ambassadors. And so I don't ever wanna forget where the Lord has brought me from. Because when I remember where God brought me from, it helps me to climb down off of my pedestal of me, 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 I, I, I. When I remember where God brought me from, it helps me to humble myself, not only in the presence of God, but in the presence of man. Because Paul said, and such were some of you. But grace has intercepted, and I'm so thankful for that interception of grace. I don't know where my life would be tonight. I, I, I'm horrified to think where my life would be this evening had it not been for the grace of God that intercepted my life. If I could just pause for just a few milliseconds here in my own mind and think about the direction that I was headed and think about the, the, the direction that I was pointed in when grace intercepted my life, I can tell you the outcome would not be standing behind this sacred desk tonight. And so I say thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so I don't ever want to forget that. Don't forget the rock. Don't forget the pit from which we were pulled and dug. Ephesians 12 and two, the Bible says that, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope, no hope. Amen, I'm so thankful for hope tonight. I'm so grateful for hope tonight. You know, in, in just the course of the last, in, since we have met in this house Sunday, we have received multiple reports and requests of prayer that just seem hopeless in the eyes of man. Hopeless, hopeless. And what would you do? Where would you turn? Where would you go if you didn't have that confidence that I can turn to God in prayer and say, Lord, I know this is baffling the minds of men. I know this is arresting. I know this is arresting the hearts of mere mortals. But oh, I know, God, that you're not caught up in anxiety. I know that you're not in heaven scratching your head or wondering what you're gonna do. Nothing has ever caught God by surprise. And he has always always had a plan and I'm thankful, I'm thankful that we have hope. Not only should we not forget what the Lord has done for us, but I think that we can never afford to, to be desensitized to the lostness of mankind around us. Please let me say that again. We cannot afford to become desensitized to the lostness 
of people. The lostness of people. I'm not talking about judging someone, but I think it is very evident in some cases that there are people that are so lost and they're so undone. They are, they're, they are struggling, groping through a world of darkness and we cannot get so caught up in our own world that we forget about the lostness of mankind around us. The scripture says in Romans 10, 13, I know this is a very commonly quoted scripture for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I think there is an underlining scripture that follows this that should be countersunk in every heart here this evening. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Amen, I know that we can talk about calling on the name of the Lord. And if I, if I could just insert here to this evening that sometimes we are, are caught up in our, in our own vernacular in the church world. And let's just kind of be honest about that. Amen, we can get caught up in our own vernacular and, not, and somehow forget that, that, that everybody don't know, everybody don't understand. It hasn't been all of that all that long ago. I was talking with someone and, and I was just sharing my heart with them and, and trying to, to be a witness to them and help them come out of a world of sin. And, and you know, I, I, uh, I said something I, I think now was a little bit presumptuous on my part. I didn't mean to be presumptuous. I wasn't trying to be presumptuous, but, but I, I said, not, not judgmentally, but just in a conversation, I, I shared something with an individual and I said, and I, I'm pretty sure down in your heart of hearts, you knew that to be true. And with a sense of bewilderment, they looked at me and said, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. They weren't being argumentative or disrespectful, but they were, as a matter of fact, I, I didn't know. I assumed that, you know, I assumed that there was some moral compass way down there. I assumed that everything inside, that they would kind of think like I would think or think like you would think. Amen? Is this all right? We have a... I don't mean this critical. I'm just gonna be dead honest with you tonight. We have a whole lot of church aimed at us. Amen. We have a whole lot of church aimed right at us. We sing those songs that we like and it makes us feel good and we, we, we get what we need out of the service and we kind of feel like, whew, we can go home now. And not realizing that there may be somebody down inside that we haven't gotten down to the core of where they live. And so I say, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they gonna hear unless someone put the trumpet to their lips and sound that trumpet loud and sound it clear? It is not the will of God that anyone be lost. Can the church say amen? It is not the will of God that any should be that any should be lost. It's God's desire that people would be led to the saving knowledge of who he is. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and 4, it says God desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the desire of God. That is the heartbeat of God. But he left this world. But he said, I'm gonna leave my spirit, the comforter. It's gonna fill you. You're gonna be my voice. And if I could say it tonight, this house is full of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about Jesus Christ, but this house, 
house is full of Jesus because you're full of Jesus. But we can't just be full of Jesus while we're here and sing a few songs and go through a few motions. But when the doors of this assembly open, amen, Jesus needs to go everywhere that we go. We are his mouth, his hands, his feet. Hallelujah. We have, must come to understand through the understanding that God does not want to save us to just simply save us. But he saved us that we might be a light and influencers to help save others. I believe that God has commissioned the church with a word to lead others. I believe that God has not called an anemic group and body together, that we're staggering and struggling. I'm gonna tell you that we didn't just leave here Sunday trying to stagger our way back here tonight. I hope that we don't leave here just trying to make it back Sunday, but we need to walk out of here a brand of fire. Hallelujah. A light in a world filled with darkness. In turn, in turn, the scripture declares that God is going to reward those that are diligent about the kingdom's work. The book of Daniel 12 and three, the scripture says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. They that are wise shall, be, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness, they are gonna shine as stars forever and ever. And so I'm gonna tell you that when you slip your hand in somebody's hand and you begin to share with them about what God can do with them, amen, when you begin to talk about what God can do about their lives and how the Lord can transform them. The scripture says when you turn many to righteousness that you're gonna shine like stars forever and ever. Praise God. Now, we all have dreams about what heaven is gonna be like. Some may be infatuated with pearly gates while others are infatuated with golden streets. But I believe that what is going to make heaven heaven is going to be Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that Jesus is going to outshine the streets of gold. I think Jesus will outshine the gates of pearl. I think Jesus will outshine anything that we have described to us in scripture. But I think hand in hand, one of the things, if I could just say in a human element sense, I think one of the things that's going to make heaven heaven in a to being able to be with Jesus Christ is to be able to be together again with those that we have personally led to the Lord. Amen. Our own spiritual babes, those children that we have helped give birth to. Amen. What a privilege. What a privilege that's going to be. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? for ye are our glory and joy. Concerning verse 19 uh, in, in Adams Clark commentary, this is what he has to say about that. He says, ye are the seal of our apostleship, your conversion and your steadfastness. This is talking to the church. He said, your conversion and your steadfastness are full proof that God has sent us. Con converts to Christ are our ornaments, amen, 
persevering believers is, is, is the joy in our day of judgment. Amen. When we see the end result of the church, I, I don't think the church is over just because the lights are turned out. I don't think the service has ended just because we lock these doors and we move to another location. Amen. But we are allowing the spirit of God to move through us. Hallelujah. And because of that, he said that you're, you are the seal of our apostleship and your conversion and your steadfastness is proof that God has sent us. We're not just marching time to time. We're not just shadow boxing here. We're not just going through the motions. This is not religious rituals and rites, but we are establishing people in the wake of the church. What do you find? You find the lame that are walking. You find the blinded eyes that are open and deaf ears that are unstopped. Not all of that is literal. Amen. Some of that is spiritual. You see the lame that are on their feet tonight. You know what's in this house? There's a lot of lame people but the spirit of God spoke life into you and you took up your bed and began to walk. You were spiritually blind, but the power of God anointed you and enabled you to be able to see. You were dull of hearing spiritual things, but the power of God wrought a miracle in your life. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. So the church in its wake doesn't just have a bunch of old dusty books filled in the library, but the church in its wake has the power and the end result of evangelism. Lives changed. The kingdom moved. Churches established, not just locally, but uh, around our nation, across our nation, and around the world. Now, it is easy for every generation to unwittingly, unknowingly, miss the purpose of God. We cannot think that we're the only generation dealing with things that serve to distract us from the ministry and the call of evangelism because every generation has faced exactly what we are facing today, the same spirit of what we're facing anyway. There have always been and there always will be obstacles to overcome. If we want to avoid this for our generation, then we're going to have to be very intentional that we don't unwittingly miss the mission of the church. We're going to have to follow the plan that God has established through his word for our lives. I think that plan is revealed to us in the book of Acts. I want to turn there and read two very familiar scriptures. The Bible says in Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea in Samaria, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now we know Acts 1 and 8 very well, very well. Acts 6 and 7, the Bible says, and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Now, these are not just two scriptures that I pulled out to read it all just off the cuff. But from Acts 1 and 8 to Acts 6 and 7, what we must understand is that there has been an elapse of about 10 years. So we're talking about a decade of time from the, when the scripture says that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you're gonna wit be witnesses to me beginning in, in Jerusalem, 
in Judea, Samaria, and the othermost part of the earth. And then it doesn't take it doesn't take ten years to get from Acts one and eight if you're reading to Acts six and seven. But if we could think about it in that light, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient. Now this is an incredibly important lesson for the church, and I've kind of slowed down on purpose because we must catch this. Because the fact that God is blessing, I don't want to lose you here, and so please do your dead level best to stay connected with me. Just because God is blessing is not necessarily a sure sign that we are in the exact will of God. Amen. And so it doesn't mean just because we feel the presence of the Lord and we, we felt the Holy Ghost here tonight. I felt the Holy Ghost here tonight. I feel him right now. That doesn't mean that we are walking in absolute obedience to the Lord. We may be walking in some grace. We might, we might be stepping in a few puddles of mercy. During these years, these 10 years, the Jerusalem church was a blessed church. I don't think anybody would argue that. They were blessed with divine visitations, miracles and healings. They were blessed even numerically with growth. We see that in scripture. The church grew in spite of, during this decade of time, the church grew in spite of persecution, despite opposition, and despite even internal conflict, the church continued to grow spiritually, numerically, and all looked well. In Acts 2.41, there were 3,000 people. Acts 4 and 4, the Bible speaks about 5,000 men. Acts 5 and 14 talks about multitudes of men and women. Acts 6 and 7 that I just read to you talks about a great company of priests. And so we realize that there is a growing here. There's a there's a growing here. Are you, are you with me now? I realize at first glance, this seems like a, a praise report. Well, glory to God. There were 3,000, then there were 5,000, then there were multitudes of men and women, and, and now we just look at the priesthood and how it's growing. Obviously, if the priesthood is growing, there's a need for the priesthood to grow, so that must mean that the congregation, to use our terminology today, is growing. Amen. And so when we look at that, at first glance, that seems like a positive thing. But what we must consider is one simple thing that is so easily lost if we read through this too fast. And that is this one simple truth that all of this was happening only in Jerusalem. Amen. Jerusalem had been enjoying the blessings of the Lord. They had been through some ups, some downs, Outside persecution, internal conflict, but things were on the up and up. The church was growing, the priesthood was growing. It seems apparent that souls are being added, but there is this lingering question that begs an answer, and that is, what about the people that didn't live in Jerusalem? I mean, things are well in Jerusalem, but what about all these people that live outside the gates and the walls of Jerusalem? I think that God had spoken to them not only to reach beyond Jerusalem, 
but he had even spoken to them to reach beyond their culture, beyond their comfort zone. I, I, I wanna say something that I, I really don't want to be misunderstood at all because I am very thankful and I am very humbled for the great spirit that God has blessed our church to have and feel and experience. I was thanking the Lord in part for that a moment ago in our worship service. Thank you, Lord, for what we feel here tonight, for this beautiful congregation that has gathered here. Thank you for meeting with us here. I've thought several times since Sunday's service has ended, what a special spirit. As a matter of fact, Brother Gibson and I were together on yesterday and we were talking about just the spirit of the Lord that was among us on Sunday and how rich and real his presence was with us. Amen, but hear me tonight. I'm thankful that we are having good church. And so don't, don't think I'm being critical, but I think that we need to be awakened to something. I don't think there's anything better, amen, nothing, nothing, nothing more divine in having church than there will be sinners in this house that feel such a deep sense of conviction that they got to do something about the sin in their life. I'm glad we the church are happy. I'm glad we the church are shouting. I'm glad for the victory and the joy that we feel. I'm not trying to unhinge anything and bring us down tonight, but I'm gonna tell you that if you think good church is just caught up in us having a good time and high-fiving one another in the foyer, uh uh-uh, good church is when sinners say, hey, I can't live like this anymore. I can't go home today without going to the altar. Amen, I'm gonna tell you that what, what good church is is when sinners get up and they can't walk that way because something's pulling them this way. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the church in evangelism, geared. I'm not just talking about a Bible in our hand, but I mean the presence of God convicting our heart, speaking to our spirit, and then that being conveyed into the lives of others. Can we clap our hands <coughs> to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. Amen. While they were preaching, the Holy Ghost fell, the Spirit of the Lord. And so I say tonight that we don't need to just gauge things by our gauge, by our clock, by how we feel when we walk out of here. I'm convicted. I'm convicted when, when sinners leave unchanged. I don't care how wet my shirt may be from shouting and jumping up and down. I'm, convic- I'm convicted. I'm stirred. There are times I gotta go to my office and, and close the door and kneel down in that chair and say, God, we need you. Thank you for touching me and thank you for touching sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. But oh Lord, I'm gonna tell you, there was lost men in this church. There were lost women in this service and they are in desperate need of God. And if this Bible is correct that I am holding in my hand, if they don't turn from their wicked ways they're headed to a devil's hell for an eternity and if that is true then I had better get off of my hobby horse if that is true I had better get off my high horse if that is true I better hope that, that everything doesn't just go my way I don't want you to just sing to me but sing to the sinner don't just preach to me but preach to the sinner don't just preach to my family but preach to the lost preach to the lost Hey, friend, if there is a heaven, there is a hell. If there is a heaven, there is a hell. And the scripture says that he hath opened her mouth without measure. Without measure. Now, hear me tonight. I'm not being cynical or I'm not attempting to be cynical. 
that somebody's going to hell. If what I'm holding my hand is, is correct, somebody's going to hell. Despite what we see and hear and despite the mindset of our culture, somebody is going to hell. And if we've got the answer, and Ezekiel said, and if I have told you to tell the wicked man to turn from his way, and you put your hand over your mouth because I'm too shy, I'm too timid, I'm too embarrassed, I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm too the other. He said he is gonna die in his iniquity, but it is not over. The song has not ended because his blood is going to be required at your hand. Help us today to realize that when we're walking down the sidewalk, we've got truth in our heart, and so I can't afford to keep my hand over my mouth and my hand over my eyes and my hand over my ears when I see the lostness of man. God, help us to realize the power of evangelism in this 21st century church. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I'm gonna ask you this. We can be blessed of God, as I said, and not walking in his full purpose. And if that is the case, how If that is the case, I'm trying to think how to word this just right. But if that is the case, that God can just bless us and us be not completely synchronized with his will, if this is true, how long before we run out of gas? Amen. I'm really going somewhere. If you've got the energy to stay with me. <laughs> I'm thankful for the move of God in our midst. But if we're not careful, a move of God can cause, it, can cause us to become self-centered and not God-centered. Because as soon as we get our cup full, we're ready to go. I remember altar calls that went to midnight, altar services that went to midnight. Now, I know it thinned the crowd out. Amen. But there were some that hung in there. Hung in there. Why? Because a soul is in the balance of heaven and hell. And heaven and hell. And I'm just going to tell you what I know from experience that too often we come to church going home. We know what time we start, but we're worried about what time we're ending. And so we come to church going home. I see it week after week after week. The minute I even hint like I'm slowing down, people are gathering up the kids. <laughs> Amen. So because we already dismissed, we just got to let him wind down a little bit. Because we're already going home. It's already, but that's when churches should be starting. Amen. Another whole aspect of church should be starting. Amen. I, I, need, to, I need to move on or we're going to have to give out sack lunches here. But one writer said, we have received power. We've received half of Acts 1 and 8, but have we become witnesses? We've received power, but have we become witnesses? The second promise is much more significant than the first because you can have the power, but if you do nothing with it, 
we're going to be accountable to that. And so the Lord didn't just empower the church so we could relish that power. The power was to be a witness, not, not just to witness, but to be a witness. Now, the litmus test for any visitation of God is whether or not we leave that experience and become witnesses. God desires to lead us, I think, outside of these four walls. And in large part, that's why we do what we do as a church. Because it's outside these walls that we minister in jails and prisons and nursing homes and assisted living facilities and food pantries and home Bible studies and the list goes on and on. Because we realize we can't get it all done here. We can't get it all done here because everybody that needs this is not here and they can't get here. Amen, or they, or they don't know to come here. And so we gotta work outside of these walls. And so, and, so, and so we work very diligently. Some people suppose that receiving the Holy Ghost is all there is about living for God, but nothing could be further from the truth. This is where, this, was, this really was the, the heart of the battle in the early church. They started out in obedience to the second half of, of Acts 1 and 8, but they just stopped too soon. They stopped short of the goal. They wanted to reach out in Jerusalem. They were doing a great job in Jerusalem. They were really happy to reach their own kind. But they didn't think anything about, they weren't all that happy about going to the ends of the earth. As a matter of fact, they didn't even want to go to Samaria. The early church wanted to sit in Jerusalem and here's what they wanted to happen. They wanted everybody to flow to them. Amen. Much like the church today. Let's just have good church and they'll come to us. We're kind of like a bug to a light, but that's not exactly how it works. Jesus wanted them to be servants of the kingdom who would leave their comfort zone and go to others. And this, my friend, is a battle that is no different than we're fighting today. And so here is the crux of the matter. What, what will happen if we don't change our way of thinking? What will happen? Look at what happened to the Jerusalem church. In the early years, the Jerusalem church grew. They were strong spiritually. I've already covered this. But they were strong numerically. But all of that changed in one moment of time. And you know when that was? When Stephen was stoned. When, the, when persecution hit the church and obituaries started flying to the first page, whoa. Whoa. Suddenly the disciples were scattering everywhere. And while things grew worse in Jerusalem, I mean, it was a bad time to be in Jerusalem, but great things started happening in Judea. and Great things started happening in Samaria when the church wouldn't go on their own. I guess here's what I'm driving to. When the church wouldn't go on their own, God gave them a shove. And he sent persecution to the church and, he, and the church was scattered. Yes, they were. The Bible says Acts 8 and 1 at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of where? <laughs> where they were supposed to go anyway. Where they were empowered to go from the very beginning to Judea and Samaria. In one sudden act of persecution, God forced obedience on his church, compelling them to move. Now, there's not a doubt in my mind that the reaction of the early church is the same as ours would be today. They were most likely pretty disillusioned, but in reality, this probably resulted in more obedience in the church than any single event in the history of the church. There was, it was a major factor in the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and, and, and the message hidden in these events, I think, is not only 
powerfully amazing, but it's also fearfully dreadful that God loves lost people so much that he will do anything in order to fulfill his will, anything. I mean, we, we if we're honest, in some times in reading the passage of, of, of Stephen's stoning, we kind of we scratch our own heads. We think, wow, here's a man that every time the scripture refers to him, talks about him being full of the Holy Ghost. Here's a man at the apex of his ministry and he's snuffed out. But God said, I gotta get this church. I gotta get this message out. You guys have got it under a bushel. You know what? Maybe we ought to sing that song more often, hide it under a bushel. No. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine. I'll ask our musicians, if you will, to come. God is not primarily committed to successful ministries. I'm not just saying things for shock value tonight. Nor is God primarily committed even to great churches. You know what God is committed to? The great commission. He's not committed to our steeple, though it pierced the sky. He is committed to the great commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. There are several absences within the world today that must be dealt with. I mentioned this earlier, but I will mention it in passing one more time. Prevalent in our world is the absence of the fear of hell. The fear of hell. I will take whatever responsibility would come my way. But I'm gonna tell you that we grew up with hell preached so hot they said you could smell the smoke. Amen. There's a loss, a fear of just going to hell. Just going to hell. I'm not trying to revisit this to belabor this evening's service, but I have touched on this more than once, perhaps in recent years. But I ask you, and I don't mean to be unkind or unethical or uncouth, but I just ask you, when is the last time you attended a funeral? that somebody wasn't slid to the front row of the pearly gates. No matter, no matter, no matter what their past had been. Please let me say that I am not advocating being uncouth or whatever. I am no one's judge. But I'm gonna tell you what's happened to me and I've shared this before so I'm repeating myself but I'm gonna tell you what happens to me when I'm in services like that where, where families that are sitting there probably know better. I'm not worried about the ones that probably know better. What I'm worried about is the generation behind them. I said, well, if they were all right, I ain't got a worry in this world. I don't need to sit down my Seagram 7 or I don't need to sit down my Budweiser. I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to put away my dope. I don't, need to, I don't need to put away my promiscuous living because if old John over there, if he is all right, everything's gonna be all right with me. I'm worried about that generation. There is still an element left that knows better, but there's a generation behind them 
that has no clue. That's who I'm worried about. And it's things like that that cause us to lose our fear of hell. If nobody's going, there's no need to worry. I know some of you are looking back through your notes and saying, I declare he started out talking about evangelism. I'm still talking about it. God believes in hell so much that he robed himself in flesh and walked among men, died on a cross. He believed in hell enough to want us, the church, to live with that same direction and that same motivation. And if we will not go, God has only two alternatives according to Scripture. I'm just giving to you this for food for thought, and that's persecution to drive us out of our comfort zone. Or the second thing that happened was substitution. If the Jerusalem church wouldn't do it, he baptized Gentiles with the Holy Ghost. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And so if you won't move out, I'll find somebody that will. You just keep singing. You keep your, you keep your choir robe on and you keep it pressed tight here, but I got somebody that'll take this gospel to the world. And so he started pouring out the Holy Ghost on people that said, whoa, they're not even circumcised. They're, un, they're unclean. They're not this. They're not us. They're not us. The Jerusalem church was originally chosen, richly anointed, full of the New Testament teaching, experienced complete, amazing miracles, and they were walking in the power of God's presence. But God still turned his attention away from Jerusalem to Antioch, which was a city that was filled primarily with Gentiles. And somebody, some of you Bible thumpers tell me where they were first called Christians. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Because if you won't do it, I'll find somebody that will. And I don't want someone taking my place. Let's stand if you'll start playing. Jesus. If our church, if this church becomes the sum total of our vision, I'm gonna tell you that we're gonna soon be in trouble. We must be a great commission church. I think that generation after generation, we must run with a vision, with passion. Praise God. No matter what we have achieved, no matter what we will ever achieve, we will never arrive. Praise God. You know what? My prayer is this. On the day that we move in our new church building, I hope there's some toddlers around us that God already starts planting in their heart another step, another journey, another dimension. Amen. I don't want to think we have arrived. I don't want to think that we have arrived. You know why we will never arrive? Because there'll always be one more soul. There'll always be somebody else that needs the church. There'll always be somebody else that needs the church. I resort tonight to an illustration that I have used many times through the years but I unapologetically say it again in many coastal 
cities of our nation, you will find yacht clubs. That sounds innocent enough until you study their history. Yacht clubs started out as rescue stations and rescue missions and rescue organizations. It was a group of men who were bound together with one common thread of being a mariner. And so they would ride up and down the coastlines in search of those that were lost. However, in time, they found out that it was just more fun to get together and socialize instead. And somehow, in the course of all of their cheering and all of their parties and all of their get-togethers, they forgot their purpose. And now they no longer provide that kind of hope. And not only that, but now men and women, common men and women by the thousands, ride longingly past such clubs and organizations and their life's dream and desire would just to be a part of such an illustrious club. But only the elite can get in there. And if we're not careful, that's what will happen to the church. The church started out a mission, trolling the waters, searching for the lost. But if we're not careful, we'll get so enamored with just coming together and singing our songs and eating our fifth Sunday dinners and having our big times until we forget that in the course of this very service tonight, there may be somebody lost and undone. And so while we go home with our cup full, let's not send a soul home that's hungry for the Holy Ghost. What about it this evening? I wonder if we could just push things aside a little bit further right now and say, God, would you touch the hurting heart this evening in this house? Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.